0: Welcome to the Lot Carry Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y.org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emmanuel Goldley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving.
1: We welcome to Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast today, Reverend Dr. Deborah Jackson. Dr. Jackson is Professor of Practice and Dean of the Business School at Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Dr. Jackson has had a long and distinguished career as a, a engineer, as an executive, a corporate executive, as an academic, as a denominational leader, as a pastor. Dr. Jackson, thanks for joining us in our conversation about flourishing in ministry today.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Goatley for having me and it's just a pleasure to be here.
1: You are aware that we've been on a journey with over 50 pastors on a pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. Our assumption is that every round does not go higher and higher, that flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving, and flourishing in ministry can be understood like a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, Sometimes leaves are falling away. Sometimes there are only bare branches. Still, the tree is healthy and striving. Can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you?
2: That's a wonderful question and a wonderful analogy. But for me, it's being energized and prepared for the work at hand doesn't mean that the work is easy, but that we are connected to our source and supply for all things, and all of our strength, which is God. And we remain connected to that source and supply through our spiritual practices, but that we have time and we make space for achieving a work-life balance to do the things that we love that are going to allow us to step away and separate from our leadership context, Um, that we understand God's call on our life and being able to live into it. And so when we have these parts and pieces together, then I think that our ability to flourish in ministry is increased and the probability of flourishing
0: increases.
1: Thank you so much. We've been working with um, a formula for flourishing. Uh, we were blessed for you to be one of our thought leaders uh, where uh, you helped to confirm our formula for flourishing. As we were saying, it's not an equation. Uh, and so this formula holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields ministry content, there is a higher probability for flourishing. Uh, Another way of saying it is that we believe that a pastor ought to build and construct one's content out of serious engagement with capacity and context. So we don't assume that somebody can drag and drop a ministry model from here, there, or yonder. It needs to be more organic. Can you talk to us about how your context of service has informed your content of ministry or because you have also been a mentor and helper of others, how context of service uh, generally or for others has has informed their content of ministry?
2: I loved when I was one of the thought leaders and was together. Uh, with the cohort to talk about this formula, because I am an engineer at heart, <laughs> so that formulaic construct speaks to me. Um, but it's about fit, you know. I see this formula as one of fit, and it reminds me of Frederick Frederick Beekner, who talked about vocation being that place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I mean, that's to me, that's what this speaks to. So if I think about my own kind of service context, um, I think about, um, I think about you know what i'm kind of called to do and and how i've always seen my work and that has always been about helping people realize their best selves um, you know and, and 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 that's the context right and i've done that i've lived into that context in different capacities because as you said i've i've been a corporate executive i've been an engineer i've, I've been a pastor but it's always about helping people live into their best selves and the approaches and the tools that i use to do that change based on what the setting is right so as a pastor i mean living into my best self always is about following jesus christ and that's always that, that's always for me the guiding motivator it's just how jesus y as I do air quotes, can I be, depending on that context. So in the church, yeah, in a Baptist church, specifically, I could talk about Jesus all day. That's what we do. But I am a consultant, right? And some of my clients are... you know, like I, I work with a Unitarian leadership team. I can't talk about Jesus in the same way, but I'm still trying to help them live into their best selves. I know what I'm believing. And I know that I'm trying to model that it's patterned after Christ. Um, but I may not use those words. And definitely as a dean, you know, in this in this engineering context, I'm not, you know, bringing out my Bible, but it's always close to the surface as I try to help people live into their best selves.
1: You use the word tool, and it got my attention. Hmm. In your experience as a pastor and as working with pastors, what are some tools that you have discovered can be helpful for flourishing or as sometimes I, I talk in other contexts about good and faithful ministry. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think leadership is is about having different tools. I mean, you know, that I, I often use as the analogy that it's it's a toolkit and I'm trying to find the right tool to apply. So sometimes that tool is a mirror, you know, the, the effectively a mirror. I heard you say, this is that what you meant and try to play back for people you know what they're saying sometimes it's um it might be offering some different suggestions um sharing an a- anecdote or referring people back to scripture or back to something that i've read or learned um Our job is always to try to help people as as leaders, as pastoral leaders, help people to kind of find answers, not supply answers. And so sometimes the tools lead people to the right answers. Sometimes it makes them ask questions, but that's, I mean, I find that those are the tools and I often look to, I think I heard you say- Or this is what I've reflected on based on what I'm hearing you say, am I right? Or I'm wondering, um, you know, there's there's different techniques. I wonder, is that really, you know, what you were trying to convey? Um, And I'm always trying to use these tools to help people come to
1: where they need to be. Can you talk uh, to us a little bit about how the capacity of a pastor contributes to the content of a pastor's ministry?
2: I was thinking about this question in terms of the formula and whether an additional word or or variable needed to be in the formula, Um, because I believe that our capacity is shaped by our call. What What has God called us to do? And by our experiences you know, because we're trying to lead from what we know or, or what we've been exposed to. And so if I consider this in this way, it means we have to be careful when we consider the variable of the context, because if we're not careful, we can kind of myopically minister from our own limited space rather than work with what's needed. So let me give you an example. So a few years ago, I had a friend who was called to a church and he went to this church and and he called me, invited me to be a guest preacher. And I went and as he is touring me around this church, I mean, he's so proud of all the changes he made in the first six months. I mean, he was just pointing out, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. And in my mind, I'm sitting there going, oh, that's just too fast. That's too much too fast. You've you've gone in and you've changed everything. Um, Like you're Matt Dillon and you're the new sheriff in town. And sure enough, within a year, he was gone. It was more than the church could stand. That's not what they wanted from him. And 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 he misread the context. It's like, so you can't hold one of the variables constant, right? So you need to assess your capacity and your call based on the needs of the context to shape the content. And if that doesn't match up, then it might not be the right role for you. So for me, that's that's how I've looked at it. That's how that's how I've approached it. It's like how does my capacity, what God has called me to, what I know I know how to do, how does that line align with what's required, so that the content can be birthed out of that relationship that's healthy and positive? You asked an engineer to ask talk about uh, variables, so I I will go variable with you all day long. <laughs> I apologize.
0: <laughs> A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview.
3: Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenous led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcary.org that's L-O-T-T C-A-R-E-Y dot o R.G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed.
0: Welcome back to the Lot Carry podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison Macquarie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carry's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry.
1: Reverend Dr. Deborah Jackson, you have been blessed by the Lord to have an interesting journey. Uh, that, as we both have mentioned before, is include engineering, corporate exec, uh, pastor, denominational leader, uh, nonprofit executive, uh, and, and uh, at this point, among other things, a uh, higher education administrator. And so there are some people saying, I, I just can't, get my head around how I could ever do all of that. But I know that uh, who you are and where you are now is not where you were a decade ago or two decades ago. Could you talk to us about an area of leadership where you had to develop as a pastor and how you went about doing it?
2: Yeah, you know in a lot of ways that's a really easy question for me um because years ago even even when I started to to believe that God was calling me into pastoral ministry I I mean I resisted it like most of us do um but I resisted it because I just didn't think I was supposed to be a pastor um I I told people that I was going to pastor pastors I was going to do leadership development for pastors to help them be more effective. And, um, you know, and I said that I messed around and said that one time too many and the Holy spirit dealt with me and said, how are you going to lead my pastors when you don't know what they do? And so I stopped saying that and I stopped fighting, um, that call to, to be a pastor. And So I had to learn how to be a pastor, which for me, I, you know, I, I define that very specifically in that idea of having the kind of deep relationships where I was experiencing the life cycle of people over the years. And, and what did that mean? I I needed to, I needed to hone my skills for deep listening. And for being present um, and resisting the the temptation to diagnose, um, and and the Lord helped me with that because God gave me a congregation that when I first received them, it was overwhelmingly elderly. Um, at when I became the pastor of the church, I was the youngest person in the church, and. I had a a congregation of people who, especially my men, who had felt like life had passed them by. They had grown old and they weren't vital. And they, you know, what was the point? And, and I got to sit with them and just to hear their stories, not to convince them that they were vital and still had a work to do, but just to hear their stories, to have peop- somebody listen to them, their pastor listen to them was validation. And it helped them to see a purpose beyond how they had viewed themselves. And so, I mean, and God doesn't waste anything. So I think about that even now when I'm sitting with faculty members who want to tell somebody about their research, and want somebody to listen deeply and closely. Um, you know, I think about that in working with students who want somebody to just sit and hear them. Um, it's pastoral. And I had to learn how to sit and be present uh, because the problem solver in me wanted to jump to conclusion when people just wanted to be heard.
1: It sounds like to me, your growth in learning to listen required potentially some work as somebody who is trained as a problem solver with this analytical temperament and talent. Can you say something about, was that easy for you? Was it hard for you? did you wake up one day and figure it out? It's, you know, did the Lord knock you off your beast or how did you, how did you discover that you needed to learn how to listen when you'd been trained to pro to analyze and solve problems? They, they seem like different approaches to me.
2: Yeah, they really are. And, um, I remember, you know, so I I remember becoming cognizant of this during clinical pastoral education, which I hated. And, you know, I would go to the hospital and I would have to visit somebody. And I say it like that I have to visit somebody. And I remember catching myself standing outside of a hospital room almost like a person getting ready to enter a jump rope so if you can imagine you know people twirling a jump rope and you know that when you're twirling a jump rope you're watching and you're trying to get the timing so that you know the right time to jump in so that the ropes continue to twirl and you jump And I stood outside of someone's hospital room and I caught myself rocking back and forth as if I were preparing to jump into a jump rope. Like I had to get myself ready to enter into the room because I wasn't mentally prepared because that was hard. It was hard for me. And I and I caught myself thinking, what in the world are you doing? Um, and, and then I was able to kind of relax into, okay, this is something you have to learn because you're going in there expecting to be able to solve somebody's problem, not knowing whether there's a problem to solve. And you have to let that go.
1: Thank you for sharing uh, that example. and helping to encourage us uh, that even if something is hard, we can learn it. And uh, once we learn it, then it becomes an additional resource or tool in our kit so that we can serve uh, more effectively. Thank you for that encouragement. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? And has that evolved over time?
2: You know, I love hearing my words being put into practice and coming back to me. Uh, And that probably sounds conceited or self-serving, but I, but I say it in the the context of if I'm trying to help someone be their best selves, whether that's in a one-on-one conversation or coaching or consulting or preaching or teaching You know, I'm trying to offer what I think will help people move to the next level, whatever that next level is. And so if they are using my words, then it's that cognitive process of trying to make what is originally a cognitive, you know, exercise into a heart exercise, putting the words into practice so that they can live into them so that they can realize a better self. And if I'm hearing my words, then I know that someone is going through that exercise. So just last week, I was presenting to a group of girls from Girls Inc. And I was talking about The difference between a glass ceiling and a concrete ceiling. And I talked about it from the perspective that women who are in the majority culture will talk about a glass ceiling. They know that there is something ahead of them. They may not be able to get there, but they know that there is bigger and better. But oftentimes women of color are met with a, concrete ceiling, something that's opaque. We have no idea what's on the other side. You don't even know what's possible. And I explained that in the context of becoming a university administrator. I've never been one. So knowing how to negotiate for my salary package, had I not Done the kind of work to connect with others who might be able to help me and guide me, I could have been taken advantage of because I wouldn't have known even what was possible. And so, I, you know, so after saying that, I had this, this teenage woman. <laughs> Young woman, come back to me and say, you know, that was really meaningful to me about the concrete ceiling. And now I want to figure out who I need to have as a partner so that I can be more aware of where I'm going. And that that brings me just tremendous joy.
1: What is the best advice? that you received about pastoral leadership? And how has that made a difference in your life?
2: Well, I told you that when I was a pastor, a lot of my congregation was older. And one of my members was a pastor who had been ordained in 1940. His name was Reverend Jack Fassett. And Jack asked me the question that he was asked during his ordination council in 1940 he said is this all you can do with regard to pastoral leadership past being a pastor is this all you can do because what he was trying to help me see just as someone was trying to help him see is that it's a call and yet you you do it because you're trying to follow where God is leading you. You're compelled. And and I never want to lose that sense because what it means is that I'm always seeking God for my pastoral leadership. I'm always seeking God. Is this what you would have me do? And if I am seeking God, by asking the question, "Is this all you can do?" If I am seeking God, then, then I know that I'm moving in the right direction. Because God promised that God would be there, whether I made my bed and shield or in the highest heights. Um, so I just have to keep trusting and keep asking.
1: We have listeners across the country and around the world who. Mm-hmm are at different places on their journey. Some are practicing pastors, some are preparing for pastoral leadership. What advice would you like to give our listeners about what they can do to flourish in ministry?
2: I believe that flourishing, thriving, is connected to reflective spiritual practices. That's important to me. It was a real gift and nugget to me, this idea that those who take time to engage in spiritual practices will be more effective in their leadership. And, you know, I'm sure you didn't ask this question to get a book plug, but you're going to get one, (laughs) which is, (laughs) that's the title of my book effectively spiritual practices for effective leadership, the seven hours of sanctuary for pastors. And, and, and I don't offer that, you know, sort of humorously. I mean, that for me was so critical. I remember early in my engineering uh, career going to a, um, a workshop that talked about reflective practice and how important it was for our leadership. And I found that when I got to seminary, we didn't talk about this nearly as much as I expected to talk about this. You know, um, you know I was meeting pastors who, the only time they opened their Bible was because they were preparing for the next sermon something to say. It wasn't, you know, just for their own edification and, and, and practice of being with God. And because of that, so many of us were on the road to burnout because pastoral ministry is just depleting. Um, so, if you are engaged in reflective practice and that could whatever that means for you, that could be reading your Bible, that could be, you know, going on a silent retreat, that could be taking a walk, you know, what, going to somebody else's worship service where you're not the pastor. But you have to have a, a, a panoply of these kinds of practices in your own life to make yourselves more effective. Um, And and that to me is so important. It's so important. And it's the thing that I tell pastors all the time.
1: Let me also plug a second book of yours, uh, which is called, Meant for Good, Fundamentals of Womanist Leadership. Uh, which I'm sure informed some of your uh, work uh, with with young women, particularly young women of color. And um, by the way, I've used that in uh, doctoral training and uh, have found that the book is meaningful for people, irrespective of their gender uh, or identity or ethnicity. We're grateful to have been talking today with Dr. Deborah Jackson, the Dean of the Worcester Polytechnic Institute Business School in Worcester, Massachusetts. Thank you, Dr. Jackson, for your uh, years of service and the many ways uh, that you helped to nurture people uh, to be their best selves. And thanks for sharing the generosity of your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much for having me.
2: It's really been wonderful.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org.